If you would, take out the Word of God and turn to Romans. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 18 uh, through 21 uh, to begin our time together. Uh, And this is where we will spend the bulk of our time today. How good is the gospel of Jesus Christ? I hope you feel that and experience that. I don't know what we would do without the gospel. If you're like me, you're well aware of your sin and weakness, and your only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we look at here today in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pins the Word of God to us today, saying, Therefore, as One trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh God, I pray that you would press upon our hearts these truths. As men, we stand before you condemned because of our sin. And God, we need the grace of God found in the gospel. We need Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, by the power of Your Spirit, according to Your Word, lead us to the man who is Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. may be seated. To be the man... Some of you should know what to say now. To be the man, you have to beat the man. Now, those are words of Ric Flair, and I'm very disappointed by most of the men here today, and I think some of you wanted to say it, but you just didn't. Uh, but there are, those are words that as a kid I loathed because I couldn't stand Ric Flair. This is professional wrestling. Father's Day, professional wrestling, or you knew NASCAR was coming, something like that. Well, we went with professional wrestling. Uh, but these were words spoken by Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes. The American Dream was my favorite wrestler growing up. And so I hated Ric Flair. And I hated when he would talk on TV. And I hated when he would say those words, to be the man, you have to beat the man. Now, uh, if you know anything about him, you know that he is just this loathful, just arrogant, prideful punk. And I, I just remember thinking, if I could just get in the ring with him... I would leave the man because I would beat the man. And I couldn't, there was no wrestler that I hated more than Ric Flair growing up. But as I've thought about those words, it sort of sums up the battle for manhood in our own lives as men. Uh, It can be summed up in those words to be the man, you have to beat the man. 
But the man that we're called to defeat isn't Ric Flair and it's no other man. It's the one we see in the mirror on a daily basis. We are the, the loathful, prideful, arrogant, loudmouth punks that we have to do battle with on a daily basis. And when we come to Romans chapter 5, we see exactly how that fight is to take place. As Paul is reminding us of the gospel, he calls us to defeat this man by the power of the gospel, understanding at the end of the day, I'm not the man. I'm not the man. There is one man and his name is Jesus. And he gets to this point in Romans as he has described how sin has come into the world. He makes this statement to begin the book that we have all sinned, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning, we act as if we're God. We think we can do whatever we want, but we're not. We don't have the glory of God. And when we choose to do what we want, we sin against God and we fall short of His glory, of His power. And he says the only way, the, the only solution to this problem of sin in chapters 4 and 5 is to be justified by faith alone. To believe in Christ alone. And when we trust in Christ alone, the same way Abraham believed, he believed and he trusted God's promises and it was reckoned to him as righteous. When we believe in Jesus, His righteousness is given to us. What He achieved for us on the cross is credited to us. And in chapter 5, He gives us the choice. You can live in the man Adam, the first one to sin and remain in your sin, or you can live in the man Jesus, the one who died for your sin and is overcoming your sin by grace. The first man, Adam, brought sin and death into the world. And now the man, Jesus Christ, is reversing this pattern of sin in the world. And so he says, when we get down to verse 18, the whole section here from 12 through 17 is, is summarizing this reversal. Adam brings sin and death into the world. Uh, sin brings the wages of death into the world. Now Jesus is reversing all of that through His righteousness and by His grace. And He says verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. The word trespass means to step off course. It, it, it means to, to go out of bounds. And that's exactly what Adam did. Adam was created to reflect the glory of God in the garden by submitting to the glory of God, by obeying God. And yet Adam stepped out of bounds. He stepped off course when he decided to go his own way. The fruit, Eve, his wife, the voice of the serpent was there. Even though he had the word and glory and power of God echoing in his ears, you shall not eat of this tree. You can have all the other fruit of the God. Not this one. Even as those words echoed in his ear, he chose to go off course. And what happened? This led to condemnation. Adam led us into guilt. He led us into what, what Paul has described in Romans being separated from God. 
Sin separates us from God. And we live in sin, separating ourselves from God as we sin. This is the condemnation that we live in because Adam led us as a representative into sin. And we proved we would do the same thing Adam did because we continued to sin. And for our sin, we deserve to be condemned. And this is the state of every man in the world. But notice... Just as Adam acted on our behalf in this way, there is another man. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men who would believe in Christ. Notice, act of righteousness. Adam disobeyed. He wasn't right. He trespassed the righteousness of God. And yet there's another man who is inherently right. And because he's inherently right, he always does what is right. And here it is, his rightness is summed up. Notice how it is described, the act of righteousness. Adam's one act of sin is overcome by Jesus' one act of righteousness on the cross. And so the right man who always does what is right has died to make us right. Notice, justification is available for all men who believe in Him. That means when we trust in His righteousness, it is credited to us. When you believe that Jesus lived a perfect life that you could never live, and you trust alone in Him, not your righteousness, but His, He gives you His righteousness into your account before God. You are covered in His righteousness before God. And when you believe in Him, this righteous act of the cross is credited to your account. You owe God an infinite debt, but it was paid for you in Christ in this one act. So notice that you would have life. This is the end result of the Gospel. So that you would no longer be separated from God, but you would be reconciled to Him and accepted once again in Christ. Notice the text continues. First, by one man's disobedience, Adam's willful rejection of God's righteous rule, the many were made Sinners. We come into the world as sinners. We inherit that from Adam. And because we are inherently sinful, we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And we, when we sin, we're dead in our sin. And so we sin some more. And this is the condemnation that we live in because of Adam. But notice there's hope. So by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And notice how that's phrased there. Will be made righteous. And so in Jesus, you are declared righteous in Him. But the promise doesn't stop there. He says He will make you righteous. You who are separated from God will be reconciled to Him. You who are unrighteous, rebelling against God, Jesus declares you righteous and He begins a process of making you righteous so that before God one day, you will stand before Him as we just sang, saved to sin no more. That's the promise of the Gospel. What you've been declared, you will be made. And so for us today, you can live in Adam or you can live in Jesus. You have two men to follow today. You can continue to follow Adam in spiritual death. Sinning, incurring guilt upon guilt. You can live in Adam condemned to be condemned forever. 
Or you can live in the righteousness of Christ to be made righteous and have life with God forever. You can live condemned when you sin. Some of you here today, you sin. You don't know what to do with your sin. You, you feel that guilt in your gut. And you go, I know this isn't making me happy. I know there's something wrong with this. But you don't know what to do with it. And it's some, for some of us, it's like we take two steps forward, three steps back when it comes to sin. And we just live and we're thinking, how can I get myself out from under this debt? And you can't. You can't. But there is a man, Jesus. And when you live in Him, you have life. That cycle of spiritual death is broken. That guilt is gone. And so when you sin, when you choose what is wrong and bad and horrible for you, and you feel guilty, you're not left alone. You have something to do with that sin. And you believe that it was nailed, pinned to the cross, and destroyed. When you sin, when you choose to disobey God, when you are selfish when you lash out, when you gossip, when you look back at your day and you say, look at all of the horrible things I did and you feel that guilt. Guess what? You're not left in condemnation if you're in Christ. You have a promise that Jesus never sinned. Jesus never gossiped. Jesus never lashed out in unrighteousness. Never. And so you believe His righteousness is credit to you. And men, it is vital you believe this. It is vital that you live here in Christ. Many of you come in today and you live under the condemnation of Adam for your own sin. This is a true statement. All problems in the world, family and church, can be traced back to a failure of male leadership. At some place, every issue, every problem comes back to a man not being a man. And it goes all the way back to the garden. Adam was given the responsibility to lead, provide, and protect, and he did not. He failed at that. And guess what we do? We fail at that. And if you're a man here today, you feel that condemnation. You feel the condemnation not only for your sin, but you look around at your life and you see, I'm responsible for a lot of people's sin. I'm responsible for a lot of death in the world, in my family, and even in my church. I'm responsible. I'm to be a leader, protector, provider, and I don't do it like I should. And you can either live there in that guilt, or you can believe in Christ those failures are nailed to the cross and live there in life. Oh, I didn't have devotions with my kids growing up like I wanted to. I didn't read the Bible with them like I should have. And you live today on Father's Day. You're thinking, why did I come? Thinking about all the things I wish I'd have done better. And that guilt is punching you in the gut. If you're in Christ, you can claim that your failures were nailed to the cross. Even your failures as a father. 
You're here today and you think, man, I wish I would have been a better provider. I wish I would have worked harder. I wish I would have made different decisions. And you're living in that guilt. Believe your sins were nailed to the cross. They're covered in the blood of Christ. You're here today and you think, I am a pathetic husband. I don't read the Bible with my wife. I don't love her like I should. I'm so selfish. There are so many things I could do for her. And I just don't. You're not the man. There is a man who loved his bride and died for her on the cross for her sins. And he promises to wash her with the water of the Word. And his righteousness, if you believe in Jesus, is credited to you. And that's where we must live, men. Under and in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice verse 20. Now the law came to increase sin, trespass. But notice the promise, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. We think about the law and we immediately think about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments summarize nearly 600 laws or more in the Old Testament. All laws that were designed to say God is holy. Here's what you should do and here's what you shouldn't do. And the more the people tried to do and not do, the more we try to do and not do, guess what the law teaches us? You're not holy. You're not righteous. Only God is. And notice how Paul describes the law. The, the, the law came, notice he says, to increase sin. Now, we could translate that to make known sin. That's what the Ten Commandments do. Go read them today. And you will see that you're not righteous. You're not holy. Only God is. It's kind of like the, the speed limit. You're driving along and you see the blue lights. You say, oh, was I speeding? Yes, you were speeding. There was a sign that said you should only be going 25 and you're going 75. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that was going on in this neighborhood full of kids. And yet, the officer is personalizing the law. He's coming to you and saying, you have broken the law. You, you, you have violated the law. And, and that's exactly what the law of God does to us. Even when it's truthful that we didn't know we were sinning, the law of God steps in and says, yes, you were. And you weren't just generically sinning. You are sinning against a holy God. And the law personalizes righteousness and holiness, and it is a law that we don't have. But notice the promise Paul thunders in. And throughout this chapter, <coughs> it's like he talks about sin, condemnation, and death, and then he has to jerk us right back to grace. Notice the law comes and increases sin. But grace abounded. Grace trumped. Grace always came in and worked harder. Grace comes in and abounds. Sin is displayed, and notice the purpose of sin though here in this verse. Sin is displayed to lead us to grace. See how those things work? The law comes in to ultimately show us grace. To show us as great as our sin is, there is grace that is greater. And this is why in the Christian life, I never have believed 
in my own life. I'm going to confess something to you today. I never believed that I sin less. I, I, maybe you're more spiritual than me, but I never feel that way. I feel like I sin differently than I used to, but it's not less. It, it, it seems as though the more I grow in Christ, I just see my sin all the more clearly. Now, I hope when I get to heaven, I'll be able to look back and say, yeah, you are growing some. But, but, but the work of the Christian life is that you have the Word of God and you have the law and it shows you your sin to give you more grace. And to give you more grace, guess what God has to do? Show you more of your sin. And so we don't shirk from seeing our sin because we know there's more grace coming in behind our sin. That's why being out it being out it for our sin before God and others in the Word of God, it is not God pushing you away. Some of us believe that. I'm not going to that accountability group because I'm going to, to see how sinful I am and it feels like God's pushing you away and it's just the opposite. He's showing your sin, you your sin to pull you in for more fellowship, for more grace. And so we see our sin, and it is not to condemn us, but to rescue us in Christ. But if you're in Adam, what do you do when your sin's revealed? It's the same thing Adam did. Remember Adam's sins? He goes and tries to cover up his sin with some fig leaves, and what is he doing? He's hiding from God. God is coming to restore the fellowship. And Adam is hiding. And that's exactly what some of you are doing here today. You're here today on Father's Day and you're saying, I did this for somebody else. I'm here today so my kids would be proud of me. My wife would be thankful. I'm here today. And you're thinking, I would rather be hiding somewhere. God is revealing our shortcomings to draw us in to fellowship and grace and not just shortcomings when we sin against Him. And so in Adam, many of us here today, we are alienating others. You are working really hard to get out of your life anything that reminds you of God. You know people like that. You know people who aren't here today, who haven't been to church in years because they are hiding from God. It sounds very powerful and prideful. I'm just not going to church. I want to do what I want to. And so often they're hiding from God. And in Christ, we don't hide. We draw in. You know, one of the things we do when we're in Christ, we're not hiding from God. We're actually exposing our sin before God. We're getting in the Word of God and we're saying, I need to see more of how I can be like Christ. And when we do that, we see our sin all the more and there's more grace for that. And we're constantly examining our lives. How can I, how, how can I see my sin more clearly so that I can have more grace? And that's what we do when we're in Christ. When we're in Adam, we hide. But when we're in Jesus, we confess. In Adam, we believe that there is something that God could find out there's something that I could say or do that would make him love me less. And we live fearful. He's going to shun me if he finds this out. In Christ, we confess it. We realize that God's not going to be shocked. Actually, God knows my sin is worse than I would ever imagine. And that's what he's trying to show me in his word so that I could have more grace. 
In Adam, we we try to cover it up with our fig leaves of image. I'm a good person. Here, I'm doing this good thing. And, and And it's frail and it's paper thin. But in Christ, we don't have to hide with our fig leaves hoping someone might notice I'm not as good as I'm putting on to be. I'm not as good as my Facebook posts say that I am. I really don't read my Bible that much. I really don't care that much about others praying. I'm really not, I'm not that concerned with anyone but myself. I'm scared to death other people would see that and we're full of anxiety, we're full of fear. But in Christ, we stand before God covered in the righteousness of God and we confess it all. Not hiding anything before God. And this process is so important for men. It's so important for men to live in the grace that is found in Christ. Men, you've got to believe that in Jesus, in the Son, you are loved as a son. And in Christ, you couldn't be loved any more or less. And there is nothing before God that He's going to see that's going to shun you. There's nothing. That's why you need men in your life who are confronting you, who are calling you to confess your sin, who are leading you in repentance, and who are calling you to rest in the Gospel. You need that. You you need to be exposed for your sin. You don't need to be running from God. So often we're running from others in those relationships and it's just we're running from God. Somebody's going to find out something about me and we live with that guilt. And yet, in Christ, you can, yeah, it's true. It's worse than you ever imagined. Really, it is. It's worse than I even believe. But you do that, you know why? For grace. Notice, don't forget grace. We don't leave in the confrontation, the confession, the turning. No, we ultimately rest in grace. That's where we're trying to get one another to, brothers. And that's why Father's Day can be so horrible for us. We come in and we smile. We take the card and the tie and the socks. Thank you. But many of us will sit around a table at Cracker Barrel today and we will feel horrible about ourselves. You will. I know, because I often do. Father's Day so often is a reminder that I'm a horrible father. And so often I look at my kids who say all these good things about me and say, hmm, let's tell the other side of the story. And we're out it as bad husbands, fathers, disciple makers. We're challenged to be men, and we just feel so guilty. But I want to tell you today, men, There is no power in the law to make you a better man. There's none. There's no power in a list of rules and regulations, even of manhood, even of the things we don't do. Be better isn't going to make you a better man. Jesus is going to make you a better man. And so I want to encourage you here today to find the power of the Gospel in the man, Jesus You will be a better man if you are confessing, I'm not the man. You will be a better man if you repent of trying to be the man. You will be a better man if you rest in the man who is Jesus. That's what you've got to do as a man. 
Not just be better, do better. Oh, feel guilty. Some of us think feeling guilty is a spiritual discipline. And we think we're closer to God just because we walk around in guilt. No, your guilt is revealed so you would confess, I'm not the man. And you would stop trying to be the man. And you would rest in Jesus. We would be better leaders if we just lived in the grace of God. Live there. You would stop being so overbearing as a father if you delighted in the grace of God a little bit more. Because you would look at your kids and say, they need grace like I need grace. And you would give them grace. You would be a better husband if you lived in the grace of the gospel. You want to love your wife more? Be reminded that Jesus loved you with the cross. And He's not leaving you. He endured the wrath of God for you. He loves you. Look to Jesus who loved His bride perfectly of which you are a part of and serve and sacrifice for your wife. Live in the Gospel. You would be a better man if you lived in the grace of God. You would be a better, better disciple, disciple maker if you just lived in the grace of God. We have the book Discipling and we, we're saying every... Christian has the responsibility to disciple. And that's true. You want to get after it in discipling men in your life? Just start loving the Gospel. Being amazed that Jesus calls you a disciple. That He allows you to follow Him. And you will be gritty and courageous and making other disciples. You're not the man. Stop trying to be the man and rest in the man who is Jesus. And notice where all of this is leading. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice, sin reigned. Sin ruled. There is this cycle of sin in the world that just dominates everything. I, I'm dead in my sin, so I sin. I sin because I'm dead in my sin, so I sin. And every man does it. And you can't stop that cycle. Some of you see it in very tangible ways. I get angry and then I get more angry. I get frustrated, I get more frustrated. I'm discontent, I'm more discontent. And there's those cycles in our life of sin that leave, lead us in misery. But notice that cycle stops. How does it stop? Notice the word grace. God's unmerited favor. Everything he's talking about here is something God, God does in spite of what we deserve. We deserve hell, but God gives grace. And notice it's through Jesus. Jesus is the one who is right, and he does what is right, and he lives and dies to make us right. And that is the rule of righteousness in our life. And notice where it leads eternal life. That's the promise of the gospel. That one day you will be restored to fellowship even better than fellowship that was in the garden. Because you know what it's like to have been broken. You know what it's like to have been sinful. And then you'll be redeemed in Christ and the fellowship we'll have with God in the new heaven, new Jerusalem will be even better than this fellowship Adam enjoyed in the garden. That's why it's called eternal life. And we taste that now in Jesus Christ, the Savior King who is our Lord and Master. And one of the things we may not have noticed through this whole section is the way Paul describes this reign of grace that is leading to righteousness 
And it all happens against the backdrop of our sin. How do you know grace? Because you know sin. And notice here, how do you know eternal life? Because you know death. And Jesus is reversing it all, notice, by His right acts, by His righteousness. And we will ultimately know against the backdrop of sin and death what it will mean to live in a world with no sin and no death. We will know these things. We will know, even though we've been declared righteous now, what it will be to be totally righteous. And Paul describes in the next chapter how that happens by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes and lives within us to make us like Jesus. To make us right. The rule of grace in our lives right now is the Spirit of God. And Paul in chapter 6 describes it this way. You've been ruled so long by sin and death, you don't know what the new rule of Jesus in grace and mercy is like. And so, so often you feel like a slave to sin. Even though you have this promise that you've been declared righteous, you'll be made righteous, you don't even know what that looks like. What does righteousness look like? Because you've been so addicted to your sin. You've been enslaved to it. You're, you're like the dog with the invisible fence out in front of someone's house and it's, it's been up and, and, and the dog has been shocked with that collar over and over and over and over again until finally it doesn't think it can go through. And maybe you turn the thing off and there's nothing keeping the dog in the yard. But it will not leave. Why? It thinks it's going to be shocked. There's something bad. I don't know what it's like to leave. And so many of us have lived enslaved to sin. And when Jesus breaks those bonds and He says, you're righteous in Christ by the Spirit I'm making you righteous, we go, I don't want to leave. I'm comfortable with this. I know this. I've lived in sin so long, I've convinced myself that it'll make me happy. I can't believe Jesus would make me happier than my sin. And you live there. But the promise of the Gospel is that Jesus will make you righteous. And the Spirit begins that process now. And you're in such turmoil with sin and righteousness that sometimes you just stop and you go, I hate this. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. Read it. I hate it. Like a young man said to me not long ago, I hate who I am. And that's the feeling some of us have. Why? Because there's that tension between the promise and sin. And, and we're stuck. And we don't know what to do. We don't know that there's anything better out there. But, but the rule of grace is, is changing our desires, and that's a good thing. If you stop and you say, I hate the man in the mirror, the angry, cynical, overbearing jerk. That's some of you. That's not me. It's a joke. That is me. Danae's amening under her breath. If you say, I hate that, for some of us, that's good news. Because we can turn to Jesus and we can say there's a promise that one day I will be kind and compassionate and loving. Because Jesus has already declared I'm going to be that way. 
And He's making me that way now. And despite the tension, as Paul says in Romans 6, who's going to save me from this body of death? Jesus Christ, my Lord. Praise be to Him. He will rescue me by His reign of grace. We live in a world right now where we see the rule and reign of grace, but it is against the backdrop of sin and death. What you've tasted in your heart, this new kingdom coming, you long for. You long for even more when you gather at the funeral home. Loved ones, friends. And you say, there's no hope. This hurts. This is painful. And and you're like that orphan in the orphanage who, who... They're playing with worn out, beat up, dirty toys. And they're thinking there's got to be something better. And what does the orphan do? Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Which is, rescue me! Rescue me! This can't be my home. This can't be all there is. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we who are sons of another kingdom, we are constantly found screaming out for it. Come, Father, rescue me, rescue me. And that's why he ends Romans chapter 8 by saying this, what can separate you from the love of God? Peril? Nakedness? Sword? No. Principalities, powers, those things you see, those things you don't see. No, nothing in Christ can separate you from your Father's love. You're not an orphan. You're coming home. And the Father's coming to get you. So so when you scream, you do so with confidence that He is coming. And that's where so many of us live, understanding that what He's done in our heart personally, He will do globally. And for for men today, please believe that. Your families need for you to believe that Jesus will make all things right. So many of you come in here today and you're paralyzed by your past. You're guilt-stricken. And you know what? It sounds like good news to believe the gospel and be justified and forgiven of it, but you're still scared. You think about all the people who knew you in high school. You think about the folks at the Christmas party. You think about everybody who knows who I am. And and I'm just going to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus. I've been forgiven of my sins. And you're scared to do that. If the gospel is true, there's freedom to do it. And you need to believe it. And you need to trust in Christ. And you need to hope in the gospel today. Some of you are here today and you're scared to fail in the moment. I know some of you. You're scared to lead out on campus to share the gospel, to make disciples. You're scared to do that. You're scared to lead your family in prayer. You're scared if you go home tonight and you say, all right, everybody come in the living room. Let's sit down and we're going to read the Bible. And you haven't opened that Bible in years. And you open up to Leviticus. (laughs) Oh my word. What does this mean? And you are scared to death to lead your family. Don't be scared. By the way, your wife and kids are longing for that. They'll endure Leviticus. If it means you'll read the Bible to them. But don't be scared to mess up. Why? Reign of grace. 
Jesus is going to fix everything you mess up. It's already covered in His blood if you believe in Him. Everything you've made wrong has already been made right in His blood. You can't mess this up. Lead the charge. Go out and live as a man bold and courageous for Christ. You can't mess it up. He's going to make it right by His grace. We all love to play for the coaches who we know just will not give up on us no matter how much we fail. When I was a coach and I'd have kids who were they were struggling in the field at the plate. Their batting average was horrible. They couldn't get on base. But, but I knew this kid was good. And he could do it. And yet he was paralyzed by, by fear, by the anxiety. I'm going to be benched. I'm not going to have as much playing time. And I could see it in their, their eyes. And so I would so often go to him and say, you're not going to lose playing time for being aggressive. You're not. I'm not going to set you on the bench. Go out and be aggressive. Or, or you're not going to be benched if you strike out. But I would always say this, just always be aggressive. And don't go down looking. And for non-baseball people, that means watching the third strike without swinging. Don't do that. That's not being aggressive. Don't be paralyzed by your fear at the plate. Don't go down looking. And so men, I want to say that to you today. You will not lose your status in Christ as a son of the Father. You won't lose it. If you really believe the Gospel, if you're really trusting in Christ, you won't lose that status. That's who you are. And that's who you'll always be. Just don't go down looking. Don't go down being passive. Don't stand around and do nothing. Be aggressive. Be aggressive with your sin. Bring it to the Father. This is who I am. I hate who I am, but I'm not the man. Jesus is the man. Hold Jesus up to the Father today. Don't be scared to be aggressive with your sin today. Fight your sin. Don't be passive. Don't go down looking. Be aggressive for the sake of the Gospel. Get off Fortnite. Get off YouTube. Facebook. Videos. Get off of it. Go do something radical for Jesus. Go share the Gospel with a co-worker. Well, they don't even know I'm a Christian. Well, go tell them. Hey, I know I've been an idiot for years, but I'm really a Christian, and I repented of that yesterday in church, and I want to tell you about Jesus. Do it. Just prove to yourself it's true. Stop being passive. Don't go down looking. Be aggressive with the gospel. And always remember this. To be the man, you have to beat the man. And here's how you do it. You believe you're not the man. Let's pray.